journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Hello, hello, and Shavua Tov. Welcome. This is Adol Kazilski, and this is 101.9 High FM, and I have the pleasure of your company for the next three quarters of an hour while we sit together, take a little bit of break from our hectic lifestyle, and learn Torah. And as always, would love you to join into the conversation. So any questions, any comments, 34519 is the SMS line 0618951019, our telegram number. We're at a very exciting part of where we are learning. We are in the book of Exodus. We are on chapter 12. We are on verse 34. And um, we had just finished up the fact that um, Egypt got struck with the final plague, the plague of the firstborn. There is absolute pandemonium in Egypt, um, a lot of death and destruction around a lot of civil unrest because the Egyptians are shouting now to uh, to um, to Pharaoh to kick the Jews out, which he eventually does. He comes in his pajamas and uh, he basically tells us to leave. And now we are going to start trying to make our way out. There's a lot of stories here. So um, what I suggest is that everybody just takes a cup of coffee, takes a bit of a break, the lunch break, sit back and um, listen up because it actually gets quite dramatic. So let's look into verse 34 of chapter 12. The people now have to take their dough before it could rise. And the leftovers, they wrapped in their clothing on their shoulders. So here we have it. Here we have the, the, the idea of the fact that they were now leaving in a rush and they had to, they had to uh, take their unleavened bread, the bread that could not rise. They had to take it with them, and that was one of the reasons that we eat matter. But in truth, there is a contradiction here, because just a little while earlier, a couple of sessions back, we spoke about the fact that God gave the Jews the mitzvah of eating the Korban Pesach, that's the sacrificial Paschal lamb, together with matzah and marrow. And furthermore, they had to get rid of all leaven in their home until midnight. So, what matzah are we talking about here? Because we actually purposely baked matzah so that we could eat it with the bitter herbs and we could eat it with the, with, with, with the paschal lamb. So our rabbis come and teach us that, in fact, there were two loads of matzah made. The first load was the one that they had prepared, the first batch, I shouldn't call it load, batch, was prepared before they left Egypt, and that was purposely baked as matzah, and um, that was eaten with the sacrificial lamb. The second batch of matzah they had started preparing, had no intention for it to be matzah. They were wanting to rise so they could prepare food for the way, but alas, 
there's absolute havoc in Egypt and they were told to leave. So they all just took the dough on their, on, 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 on their shoulders and they had not enough time to bake the bread and therefore we eat the matzahs. We were also told that they took over the leftovers of the bitter herbs and anything else. They wrapped it all in their cloaks and their belongings. And um, that is how they were preparing to leave. And while the Jews were prepare, preparing to leave like that, uh, the Egyptians were preparing to bury their dead. And so many had died. The Midrash tells us that this task would, in fact, take them a full three days. Quite horrific. An interesting um, tidbit, though, is that particularly amongst certain Sephardi um, families, Sephardi traditions, um, during the Seder, they have a custom of putting um, sacks over their shoulder and walking around the table in uh, an act of, of, I could use it, of solidarity with the Jews of Egypt, enacting how the Jews of Egypt walked out with sacks on their backs. If there's anybody on a bed, sacks on their backs. <laughs> if anybody has uh, that custom in their house, I'd love you to either SMS or Telegram in and just tell me how you actually do it. 34519 is our SMS line. 0618951019 is our Telegram number. Now, that was the first thing. They had to pack up their stuff in a rush. Their bread didn't bake. And there was one more item that the Jewish people had to take care of. And this we will see in verse 35 and 36 of chapter 12. B'nai Yisrael asuk devar Moshe. Then the Israelites did as Moshe had said. What did they have to do? The they went around to the Egyptians and they asked them for their silver, their gold, as well as their clothing. God made the Egyptians respect the people. And they granted their request. And so it was that in fact, okay, um, they emptied out the entire Egypt. Because you remember, God made a promise to Moshe that every woman should borrow from her neighbor gold and silver, jewelry and clothing, and you should place it upon your sons and daughters. Um, and that was already a promise that God made to, um, to Moshe, and Moshe passed on this idea to the Jewish people. So what we actually see is that in this way, um, the Jewish people basically cleared out the wealth of the, of, of the Egyptian empire. So now let's take a, a bit of a step back. Um, there's lots to discuss about this um, and understand, first of all, how come the Egyptians were so wealthy? Well, it all goes back to the story with Joseph. If you recall, after he interpreted the, the, the um, dreams of Pharaoh and he made the economic plan that during the years of plenty, uh, Joseph would go and store as much grain as he could 
And then during the years of of, of lean, of, of nothing, of famine, people would be able to come to Egypt, not only the Egyptians themselves, but people from all around the world, they would be able to come and they would be able to um, buy food. Well, this did start. And in the beginning, people had, I guess, cash flow, they had resources, they had savings. So they would come and they would give that to, to Joseph. Slowly but surely what happened is that they ran out of money, so they started bartering their animals, and they started bartering their clothes, and they started bartering anything that they could find in order to remain remain alive, to get food. And what happened in this entire transaction is that Egypt became fabulously wealthy. They owned all the gold, the silver, the jewelry, the fine clothing, anything you name, they had it. Um, and that made them an incredibly big superpower. After the break, we're going to understand now why it is justified that the Jews could go and ask to receive all of this and take it out of Egypt. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Adel Kozulski and this is the Mystical Texts uh, radio show. We are reading the book of Exodus. We are learning the book of Exodus. And just before the break, we spoke about the fact that uh, because of the famine that happened across the entire world, Egypt became unbelievably wealthy from all the money and all the goods and the gold and the silver and anything that was of any value that was used to barter for food. And so they were sitting on the world's wealth. Now, just before we're leaving Egypt, Moses commands the Jews to go to the Egyptians and ask them for all this wealth. And believe it or not, the Egyptians give it completely openly, and they couldn't argue for a number of reasons. Firstly, um, if you recall, in the plague of darkness, we were told that the Egyptians were stuck to wherever they were found themselves in. They could, If they were sitting, they couldn't stand. If they st- stood, they couldn't sit. And wherever they found themselves, that's where they were stuck. And it was at that that time during the plague of darkness that the Jews went and looked in the Egyptians' homes at where the gold, the silver, the candelabras, the, the diamonds, whatever it is, um, was so that they would know when they would leave Egypt, they would be able to go and ask. And there would be no argument on the side of the Egyptians saying, no, I don't have such a thing because they, they, they had a, a map of where everything was. Um, the first reason why we go out with all this wealth is that we had a promise from God. God actually gave it all the way back to Abraham that after the enslavement in Egypt, his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would leave with great wealth. And truthfully, um, God actually caused the entire famine to happen so that the wealth could come to Egypt so the Jews could take it out. Because before that, Egypt was just a small, poor nation. It was only after when people had come from all over the world to purchase grain, that they became uh, they became wealthy. So we see the Hashkocha Pratisya, we see the divine providence in God providing what was needed so that he can fulfill his promise. There is a deeper um, um, understanding to this as well, in that when it comes to our livelihood and it comes to our wealth, Shara uh, Bitochen, 
a book written by Rabbeinu Bechaya called The Gate of Trust, talks about the fact that it is only God and God only that decides how much wealth or how much poverty a person will have. And this is decided every Rosh Hashanah for the year ahead. And it doesn't matter if a person um, decides that he's going to work triple as hard or find an extra special scheme to do things. You will get what is due for you because Hashem, in fact, controls the 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 control controls money and controls a person's livelihood. And this is a very perfect example that Hashem controls controls the wealth of the world. He ensured that a famine would happen and cause all the the wealth to converge on um, Egypt. And he also deemed it correct and um, right that the Jews should have it when they left Egypt. And so that's how we see the transfer of funds, so to speak, from other people to Egypt, to the Jews, and the Jews and the Israelites walk out um, with it. Why did the Israelites need so, so much? Well, one of the reasons is they will now, you will see in the future um, chapters of Exodus, will be donating to creating a dwelling place for God in this world, a tabernacle, and for that they needed wood and gold and silver and cloth and all sorts of things, and that is one of the reasons that uh, was given. There's a second reason, okay, and the second reason I'm going to tell you by way of a story, a story that happens a thousand years later after the exile, uh, the exile, or the exodus, I should rather say, a thousand years after the ex exodus, there came a time that the Egyptians decided that it was unlawful that the Israelites got what they, uh, what they took out of Egypt, and they wanted it back. Who was the ruler at the time? None other than Alexander the Great. He was the, the king of the entire civilized world, and so the Egyptian representatives came to him with a claim against the Israelites. And they cited proof, okay, from the Torah that the Israelites had taken all the treasures of Egypt and now they wanted it back. And the proof was there that, that, that they took it out because we just read the verses. After hearing that claim, Alexander the Great called on the Jewish people to come and explain themselves, to come and, and, and advocate why they indeed did clean out Egypt of, of all their wealth. The Jews were in a bit of a tiz. Who should go there and represent them? And there was a certain man called Geviha ben Pesisa. Mr. Geviha ben Pesisa came before the sages. And he said, can I have permission to be the advocate for the Jewish nation? And he said as follows, okay? He said, if I win, the claim will be put to rest. And we'll all go on our merry way, right? But if I lose the case, you will be able to claim that I have not been authorized as a representative of the Jews, and you will be able to re-argue the case. Well, Seemed like a pretty good deal. If they lost, they could just say, no, we never told him to do it in the first place. And if he wins, well, great for us. So they gave him permission. Gebiha comes before the Egyptians and the king, 
um, Alexander the Great, and his first question um, in his rebuff um, to the Egyptians is, what evidence do you bring that we owe you such a great treasure? So they replied, from your, from your Torah, go read the verses. And we, we simply did that now, that they requested the, the Egyptian silver and gold jewelry as well as the, the clothing, and that, in fact, we go out unbelievably wealthy, that we emptied out the whole of Egypt. They had, they had a very legitimate claim, the Egyptians. So Gaviha says, well, then, if you are, if you are um, citing verses of Torah, I, too, will use the same sources to refute your claim. If you go look at verse 37, I'm going to read you verse 37. We're going to get to it again, but I'm going to read it to you because this is the verse that he cites. The verse reads, The Yisuf and Israel, Miram says, Sukkato, that the Jews traveled from Ramses to Sukkot, Kashesh Me'ot Elef Ragli Gvarim Levat Mitav. There were 600,000 adult males on foot. That is beside the women and the children. So he went and said, well, at that, at that census, there were 600,000 men, excluding women and children. Let's work out. How long were we slaves for you? For 430 years. Go look it up again from the verse, verse 40, where it says, that the Jews dwelt in the land of Egypt. They dwelt there for a full 430 years. So he says, for 430 years, let's just assume that 600,000 men worked for you. And that's really not true because they also enslaved the women and they also enslaved the children. And it wasn't only 600,000 because 600,000 surely died and was replaced by another 600,000 and many more. But let's just keep 600,000 for 430 years. You never paid any Jew a cent, a cent. Now, let's assume that you're going to give them a slave wage. Slave wage in those days was one silver coin a day for each worker. Well, take 600,000, times it by 430 years, okay? And we're talking minimum wage here. It is an absolutely astronomical number. So you're claiming back your treasure, and I don't know how much the price of the treasure was, but it was very, very clear that what they were requesting back was, was much less than paying each slave one silver coin per day for 430 years. So um, he ended his argument, Gaviha ben Pesisa, with the following claim. The wages of these workers is our claim against you. If you pay your claim, we'll, we, will play, we will pay you back ours. So Alexander the Great then turned to the um, Egyptians and asked them for a reply. They said, okay, give us three days to give them a chance to develop a counter-argument. But truthfully, when they sat there trying to calculate the wage, they saw that it would more than totally bankrupt them, even if the Jew paid back their claim. And so they just left the case. They stopped pressing their case um, any further. So there was a legitimate legal right for the Jews to take out all the gold and silver and valuable stuff 
in Egypt in recompensation, not recompensation, in just in compensation for all the work that they had put into Egypt without actually receiving a cent. There is another idea that I want to share, which is on a far more um, mystical level, and that is is that life isn't just about um, gathering and, and making lots and lots of money and then having four houses and three cars and 25, I don't know, Rolex watches and, and whatever. Like, surely, yes, they needed to be paid, and they would then go take all this wealth and they would um, drive it into a positive place, meaning they would build a tabernacle for God. But life isn't really all about that. And our mystical uh, teachers teach us that this um, gathering of wealth is actually a metaphor for something much deeper. And for that, we need a little bit of an introduction. And the introduction is as follows that when Adam and Eve found themselves in the Garden of Eden, they were the perfect human beings. They were there to um, reveal godliness in the world, and we were supposed to live happily ever after. Needless to say, even though they only had one commandment to keep for a couple of hours, um, Eve couldn't contain herself, and then she even got Adam to, to come along with it. And before we know it, the only commandment that they were given just for those couple of hours was broken, and the entire um, scenario of them being the ones that will reveal the godliness in, in the world burst. It just dissipated. It just went poof. And with that poof, our mystical rabbis teach that the the sparks of godliness that they were to have gathered in the Garden of Eden actually got distributed around the world. And then what happened was that we had to wait a couple of generations until we came to the generation of Abraham, who came to his own understanding of godliness and, and to whom God then gives him the mission that he and his descendants, the Jewish people, will be obligated to go around and gather all those scattered shards of light, shards of godliness that now had, so to speak, been scattered around the world. This, in fact, this idea, in fact, um, explains very much the Jewish story and why we have been where we have been for the last 5,000 years and, in fact, where we are today. The first place for the ingathering of the, um, nits, nits, I think it's called Nitzitzot, the sparks. And if I, sta I stand to be corrected, I do, but I think it's, there were 288 Nitzitzot that were gathered in Egypt through the hardship of living in Egypt, trying to maintain a sense of morality and godliness, the Jews elevated uh, about 288 of those sparks, and that was the Rehush Gadol. That was the great fortune that the Jews came out. Because it's not about the money, and it's not about that they had so, many, uh, so much gold and so much silver and so much cloth. It was about the fact that they had elevated and returned back to God those dissipated, blown, blown out um, sparks 
that had gone all over the world. And truthfully, how do we see that they had done the job, that they had in fact had, had left Birchush Gadol with great wealth, and that was the wealth that they had taken out, is that Egypt never, ever, ever, ever again to this very day recovered in any form whatsoever. It has remained a poor, a poorly governed, a poor country, and a country that never, ever, ever rose to the echelons of high society ever again. We can then take this entire idea and we can extrapolate it and understand then also that whilst the Jews were in Israel, um, following them coming out of the land of Egypt and the 40-day wandering in the desert, after a while, what happened was the Jews were exiled out of the land of Israel. By the way, the land of Israel is ours. All ours always has been and always will be. Um, but having said that, we were then scattered to all four corners of the world. We went through the the, the, the countries of Iraq and Iran and the whole Middle Eastern, uh, Morocco, all the Middle Eastern countries. Um, we had a lot of time there where we elevated the sparks there. We moved on to Spain. We had the golden age of Spain. And from Spain, after the expulsion, we moved into Europe. We then moved into Russia. Um, and then we've now moved into um, um, America. And basically, the, the, the trials and tribulations, the travels of the Jewish people were such and they, that they've been very, very difficult um, journeys. But those journeys have been there because we have been obligated to gather in the sparks, those, those lost sparks that shattered um, at the time of the Garden of Eden. I'm going to continue a little bit more after this break. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, let's just finish up idea. And so the Jewish people have wandered for a couple thousand years now, going from country to country, bringing morality, bringing light, serving God, and elevating and finding and mining those lost sparks. And what has happened now is that the world is ready and, 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 and prepared for the arrival of a God consciousness that will permeate the entire world. And so what we've seen in the last 70 years is that the Jewish people have actually started returning back to their homeland. So much so that, that more than half of the Jewish people are residing now in the land of Israel, something unheard of for the last 2,000 years, where they wandered from Spain to Europe to, to Russia to all of these places um, doing the holy work of gathering in the sparks. And so we're, we're, we're coming back with great wealth, wealth of morality, of a light, of a, 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 um, of a teaching to the entire world of who we really are. And I have to say this, now that we are finding ourselves in the aftermath of October 7th, there can be as much talk as needed about about the state of Israel and that we have enemies that want to wipe us out. And I say to each 
and every single person out there, and particularly to our enemies. If you have not learned the lesson um, of history, then you are going to be the recipient of it now. Despite the, the will of the Romans, of the Spanish, of the Europeans, of the Nazis, of the Khmelnikis, of the Stalins, of, of, of Haman. It doesn't matter how many times in history we have had people who have risen against us to try kill us and wipe us out. We have survived and we will be and we are going to continue surviving despite all your rhetoric, despite all your barbarism, despite all your, neg your, your negative energy that you bring into this world because we have been busy with the positive energy and positive light does not dissipate. And so we're going to be here. We're going to be here and we're going to usher in a messianic redemption um, that will not only be good for the Jewish people, but good for any law-abiding, God-fearing human being. And we look forward to that time very, 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 very soon because the ingathering of these sparks is almost complete. Right, let's continue with one more story. And that is, is that while the Jews were gathering their rightful payment um, for being slaves for 430 years, there was one person who was on a mission, and that was Moses. On the night of the Exodus, while everybody was engaged in um, um, amassing the treasures of silver and gold, Moses, for three days already, had been looking for the body of Yosef, of Joseph. Joseph had bound and had made the Israelites promise uh, by an oath that when Hashem would take them out of Egypt, okay, they were to take his body with them. And for the love of money, Moshe could not find Yosef's body. On the night of the Exodus, Moshe finally encountered the ancient Sarah, the daughter of Asher. She was the one um, that the elders went to and um, asked if Moses was actually a bona fide uh, leader. And she, through tradition, had heard the words pakot pakarati, and she said yes. So she went to, um, she, he went to Sarah, and um, she sees Moshe. Moshe is exasperated. He knows the Jews are leaving in the morning, and he looks terrible. And she says to him, Moses, my master, why are you looking so exhausted? And he replied, I've spent the last three days and nights looking for Yosef's coffins, and no one seems to know what became of them. And she says to him, I know where he is. Come with me, and I will show you. And with that, wow, that was a large thunder. Baruch olam. We say that blessing when we hear thunder. She said, um, let me show you a certain spot along the Nile. This is where Yosef is. Um, what the Egyptians did was they placed him in a lead casket that over five tons, and all, five tons, and all it could do was sink to the bottom of the Nile. And why did they do that? Because they felt that Yosef had the key to fertility. Why did they do that? Because um, Yosef had prepared them, right, before the famine. Like It looked like he had... Um, uh, uh, fertility, so they put him into the Nile, and they hoped that the Nile would 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 bless him. And then what would happen 
is that what would happen is that uh, the, the Nile then would flood and hopefully um, irrigate their crops as well. And besides, too, she said to Moshe, the Egyptians knew of the promise that, they had, that the Jews had made to you. I said not to leave without his body. And they felt that with him under the Nile, his body would fall and they would never, ever be able to, um, to leave. So Moses looked out at the place where Yosef was under the waters of the Nile and the Midrash says that in a loud voice, he cried out, Yosef, Yosef, Joseph, Joseph, once you made our people swear that they would not leave this land without your body, the time has come now when God is freeing his people. Everything is prepared for us to leave, even the divine presence and the clouds of glory are awaiting you. Um, arise, for we have no other reason to remain here. And as soon as Moses finished speaking, it said the huge, heavy casket miraculously floated to the top of the water. Moshe edged it towards the shore, pried it open, removed an inner coffin that contained Yosef's remains. And at the Exodus, the Jewish people carried not only the gold and silver treasures, well, the Jewish people carried that. Moshe led them carrying an even greater treasure, and that was the body of Joseph. And throughout the journey in the deserts, they carried uh, Joseph's casket with him. And just after the break now, I'm going to explain to you what it was like in the desert and then where Joseph was buried in the land of Israel. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so what happened to Joseph? Joseph traveled um, along with the, with, with the Israelites um, in the desert when they made the Ark of the Covenant that uh, held the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It would, he would travel right next to them. The two of them would be carried side by side. In fact, the Midrash tells us the Bedouins once asked the Israelites what the two boxes were, and they would reply, one is the Ark of the Dead, and the other is the Ark of the Living God would question the propriety of, um, of carrying them together, the Jews would reply, the man in the one ark kept everything in the second ark. He kept everything in the Torah, and therefore he deserves to be carried alongside the ark. And in fact, as they left out as well, um, Pyro himself accompanied the Jews um, out of out out of Egypt, he, he actually accompanied them for a long way. He then blessed them. He returned to Egypt, and he also sent his high, highest officers as an honor guard out of respect of Moses and the people. Really, in truth, when the Israelites left Egypt, emotionally Egypt was more dead than alive. It was you know they were they they were finished, and the Egyptians um, also were finished. They were finished as a people. The Jews were completely finished emotionally. And it says that God would send angels um, singing songs, praising God, and that would give them strength and refresh them. But as we know, that um, it didn't last for too long because very soon Paro decided to change his mind. And we will see actually the final miracle 
and that is the splitting of the sea and the Jews going out finally. What happens to Joseph? Joseph comes into the land of Israel eventually, and he gets buried in a place called Shechem. I've got um, sound effects here from God in a place called Shechem, and um, it's known today as modern Nablus. It's actually still a very dangerous place to go to. Um, our our uh, Arab brethren have tried to destroy um, the place of burial many a time, and many a time it has been rebuilt. And with that, I leave you with these stories and these thoughts. I'm Israel Chai, and please God, I will see you again next Monday, same time, same place. Shavuot, this is 101.9. Hi FM.